0: Section 27 of The Wars of the Roses by Robert Balmain Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 19. The Last of the Lancastrians. Part 2. If Edward had been refused admittance into London, he would have been in an extremely perilous situation, liable to be crushed between the Earl of Warwick in his rear and the Londoners in front. An attempt had been made on April 9th, two days before his arrival at the city, to rouse the Lancastrian party there. The Archbishop of York had held a council at St. Paul's. King Henry, who had all the time of Edward's march remained in London, mounted on a horse and showed himself at the head of six hundred supporters. But this was not sufficient display of force to win over the Londoners. Philippe de Comines later made inquiries into the causes of Edward's good reception into the city, and learnt that there were three. Firstly, the presence of many Yorkists who had stayed in sanctuary throughout the restoration of King Henry, and especially the presence of a son and heir to King Edward, born in Westminster Sanctuary on November 3rd of the previous year, 1470. The second cause, was the great debts which King Edward owed in the city, which obliged the tradesmen who hoped to be repaid to support his restoration. The third cause was that the citizens' wives, with whom he had formerly been familiar, forced their husbands and relatives to declare themselves on his side. So King Edward entered London, and the unfortunate King Henry was once again a prisoner. On April 12th, Good Friday, a council was held to consider the situation. Next day, the 13th, Edward marched out again with his men, and King Henry with him, to meet Warwick. For the Earl, now reinforced by Montague and men from the north, and by the Duke of Exeter and the Earl of Oxford with their East Anglian contingent, was coming steadily toward London to risk everything upon a battle. King Edward, with his usual energy whenever a fight was in prospect, marched up the great north road. Some of Warwick's men had already entered Barnet, but Edward's advance guard drove them back to their main body, which was about one and a half miles north. The Yorkist main body came up to the town as night was approaching, but Edward, foreseeing the danger if his army were caught next morning by Warwick among the narrow streets, refused to spend the night there. And gave orders that his men should go through the town and take up their position for the night outside near Warwick's host. The earl was evidently surprised by this move, and owing to the darkness of the evening, did not precisely understand the Yorkist position. He ordered his artillery, which always formed an important part of his armies, to fire all night into the Yorkist host. But the shots passed over the enemy's heads. In the darkness, Warwick's gunners mistook the range, as the Yorkists were really nearer than was supposed. King Edward's artillery did not reply, and his men were instructed to light no fires and make no noise. Next morning, Easter Sunday, April 14, 1471, between five and six o'clock, Edward arrayed his army for battle, in spite of the great fog which was over all. Warwick's forces are said to have been much superior to Edward's. Each army was apparently drawn up in three battles, a right, a center, and a left. The opposing lines, though extending about the same length, were not exactly opposite each other. The Lancastrian right overlapped the Yorkist left, and the Yorkist right overlapped the Lancastrian left. This is an old and well-known weakness to which all ancient and medieval armies were subject when they advanced to a hand-to-hand combat. Each man instinctively pressed toward the right, and so the opposing lines seldom met exactly, but one overlapped the other at each end. This tendency is noticed and explained by Thucydides in his account of the Battle of Montenea in 418 B.C., in this way, the Lancastrian right enveloped and broke the Yorkist left, and fugitives carried the report of a defeat to London. But King Edward, who always fought on foot, led his men against the center where Warwick was, himself striking down everyone who opposed him. His brothers Gloucester and Clarence on the right did good service too, and managed to envelop and break the opposing Lancastrians. Meanwhile, the victorious Lancastrian right had taken to plundering and so lost the fruits of its success, but the Yorkist right was sufficiently kept in hand to wheel round so as to take the Warwick center in the rear. Four hours' hard fighting brought the conflict to an end. The losses on each side were heavy, especially on the Lancastrian side, where Warwick, Montague, and the Duke of Exeter were all three dead. In this battle, both sides fought upon foot. On Edward's part, this was his invariable custom. Warwick, on the other hand, as a rule, began the battle by leading his men to the charge on foot himself. This done, he would mount one of his horses and hold himself and his squires in reserve, either to charge boldly at the decisive moment or to save themselves in case of defeat. But on this occasion, he was advised by his brother, the Marquis Montague, who was a man of great personal courage, to fight on foot along with the rest of his army. Thus it was that Warwick, when his men gave way, was delayed in getting to his horses, and so was overtaken and slain in a wood nearby. King Edward is said to have expressed regret for his death. In this battle the order to kill the gentry and spare the commons was not given for King Edward was much angered at the way in which the common people had abandoned his cause and favoured the Earl of Warwick at the time of the flight to Burgundy in October 1470, so now he had resolved to call out no more to spare the common soldiers. The number slain is as usual variously stated. Sir John Paston, who fought on Warwick's side, says that there were slain of both parties together more than a thousand. Other estimates give a total of 4,000, but Sir John Paston is not likely to have underestimated the numbers slain. Edward permitted honorable burial to his dead opponents. The bodies of Warwick and Montague were exposed for two days at St. Paul's to convince the common people that they were dead. Then they were buried in the family resting place of the Earls of Salisbury in Bisham Abbey on the Thames near Marlowe. In the weeks preceding the Battle of Barnet, Queen Margaret had been getting together a considerable force to come at last to England for the support of her husband and the Earl of Warwick. At the same time, Edmund, Duke of Somerset, one of the most devoted of the Lancastrians, left London for the West Country to raise a force with which he might join Margaret when she landed. He had succeeded in raising a fair-sized body in the West about the time of the Battle of Barnet. Queen Margaret assembled her men at Arfleur on march twenty fourth. She had with her the Prince Edward her son, the Countess of Warwick, Lord Wenlock, and a number of Lancastrian knights. High seas, it is said, kept her ships, mainly supplied in all probability by Louis XI, weather bound till april thirteenth. But it is possible that she was still hesitating. Waiting to hear if King Edward was defeated, or till the west, should have risen to support her. On Easter Day, April 14th, when the Battle of Barnet was fought, she landed at Weymouth, a convenient port from which to join the Duke of Somerset, who was raising the men of Dorsetshire. From Weymouth, Margaret, who cannot have had more than a few hundred men in all, went to the Benedictine Abbey of Cern, seven miles north of Dorchester. There she was met by Edmund, Duke of Somerset, and Thomas Courtney, Earl of Devon, with a good number of people. They brought her the terrible news of Edward's success at Barnet. But the situation was not considered hopeless, for though Warwick was dead and King Henry a prisoner, the Lancastrians were in arms in great numbers in Dorsetshire, in Wales under Jasper Tudor, Earl of Pembroke, and in the north. Also on the sea, the Bastard of Fulkenberg, had a Lancastrian fleet, and was threatening a descent upon London. The Queen, on the advice of her friends, moved on with all her forces to Exeter, for her cause was always strong in the West. End of Section 27